Due to the graphic nature of this story, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of animal mutilation that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. On a clear, moonlit night in May 1973, Judy Doherty and her daughter drove home from a local bingo parlor in Houston, Texas. As they sped down the highway, they passed dozens of cattle ranches. It seemed like an ordinary, quiet evening, right until a light flashed across the windshield, blinding Judy. She slammed on the brakes and leapt out of the car. Disoriented, she and her daughter could barely believe their eyes as the light pulled a young cow up into the sky. The light turned to Judy next. Almost as soon as she felt her feet leave the ground, she found herself and her daughter in a small, unfamiliar room. She saw two aliens with large heads and gray skin holding the calf down on an operating table. They cut into its hide with strange razors and knives. She could barely watch as they peeled back the cow's skin with their blades. They stuck needles in the animal and inserted probes in its testicles and eyes. In minutes, the cow was dead. Judy closed her eyes in terror, but when she opened them, she was back on the ground, her daughter safe at her side. The light was gone. There was no trace of anything in the sky, and the cow was nowhere in sight. Frightened and confused, the mother and daughter drove home. Judy didn't know it then, but they had just become the first people to witness a cattle mutilation in progress. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our final episode on cattle mutilation, the phenomenon in which thousands of cows were mysteriously butchered in the 1970s. Last episode, we discussed how farmers found their livestock dead and missing their ears, eyes, and sexual organs. Through the 1970s, the attack spread across the United States. This time, we'll explore the possible causes behind the mutilations. Some ranchers believe the government is responsible for the attacks and the subsequent cover-up. Others insist satanic cults harvested parts of the cows for their ceremonies. Still others say aliens performed experiments on them to learn about our planet or to warn humanity of a coming danger. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. Throughout the 1970s, American farmers discovered thousands of cows and other livestock mutilated across the Midwest. Their hides, tongues, and udders had been removed with surgical precision. Some were even drained of blood. Normally, after cattle had been killed, officials spotted signs of predators or cattle rustlers nearby. But when authorities investigated these cases, they rarely found animal or human tracks. Someone or something had mutilated the livestock without setting foot on the ground. The attacks cost the agricultural industry millions of dollars in lost product. By the end of the decade, the government couldn't ignore the outcry from farmers any longer. In 1979, an ex-FBI agent named Kenneth Rommel led a federal investigation. After a year of extensive interviews and analysis, Rommel released his findings. He announced that the mutilations were committed by predators, not human beings. But the farmers didn't buy it. Most believed knives or scalpels had made the clean slices in the animals' hides. But Rommel concluded that the cuts came from ordinary claws. Even the lack of blood was a natural part of death. Many of the cows had been skinned, exposing their bones. Rommel attributed this to decomposition and hungry scavengers, and he had corroborating evidence to support his claim. In 1979, an Arkansas County Sheriff's Department conducted an experiment on a newly dead calf. They placed the animal in an open field, then retreated to a nearby ditch to observe. Over the next 30 hours, they watched skunks, vultures, and flies consume the dead calf. By the end of the experiment, the carcass looked almost identical to many of the mutilated cattle. Some of the claw marks looked like clean, professional incisions. Initially, it seemed that predators and scavengers were responsible for the cattle's mutilation. But many of Rommel's conclusions didn't hold up to closer scrutiny. In fact, several of his findings only made local farmers and cops more suspicious. In one case, a New Mexico state policeman examined a mutilated bull. He found two drugs in the animal's system, a tranquilizer and an anticoagulant. 
Anticoagulants are medicines used to prevent blood clots. This allows the fluid to flow freely through the veins and arteries. The patrolmen believed that the anticoagulant allowed the mutilators to quickly and efficiently drain the blood out through the bull's jugular. But this new discovery didn't explain why someone would remove an animal's blood. It did, however, suggest that humans were responsible for the attacks. After all, animal predators don't inject their prey with anticoagulants. People didn't believe Rommel's claw mark explanation either. In 1980, an Iowa veterinary pathologist examined the corpse of a mutilated bull calf. The calf's tongue had been sliced off. While it's not unusual for predators to devour soft tissues like the tongue, they usually only bite off the front. But the calf's tongue was severed near the back of its throat. The veterinary pathologist replicated the wound on another calf carcass. The cut he made was identical to the one on the mutilated calf, and neither resembled animal bite marks. In other words, the calf's tongue was likely sliced by a human, not an animal. But even if people were responsible for the cattle mutilations, it was unclear who the perpetrators were and what they were trying to accomplish. This wasn't the work of a lone individual. There had been too many attacks spread across too great a distance. The phenomenon wasn't limited to the United States. Incidents were reported in Canada as well. In Alberta alone, from August to October 1979, almost 20 animals had been mutilated. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, otherwise known as the Mounties, stepped in to solve the case. Corporal Lynn Lauber led the Canadian investigation, and he'd been dubious of Rommel's findings from the start. After gathering evidence, he felt even more confident that people were responsible for most of the mutilations, and his final report stated as much. When the press asked Rommel to comment on Lauber's findings, Rommel lashed out. He said he wasn't going to discuss the Canadian investigation. His job was done. But the general public wasn't so sure. It seemed like he hadn't done his due diligence. The ex-FBI agent had only studied 15 mutilations in person, just a fraction of the 10,000 cases reported in the 1970s. With such a small sample size, it's possible Rommel missed some important clues. And even if his findings were correct and those 15 mutilations were ordinary predator attacks, there might have been something more nefarious at play in the other mutilations. More concerning, Rommel may not have fully examined the scenes he did visit. The sight of mutilated cattle made him physically sick. So maybe his findings weren't reliable because Rommel hadn't investigated thoroughly. Perhaps he doubled down on his initial conclusion out of a sense of embarrassment. He didn't want to admit he'd botched such a high-profile case. But others suspected a more nefarious motivation for Rommel's rushed report, a government conspiracy. Coming up, U.S. officials potentially cover up the real culprit. 
Once upon a time, I thought I met Mr. Wright. The only problem, he was a huge liar. You were going out of your mind because you couldn't figure it out. I'm Abby Ellen. Join me as I tell the story of one con man who entangled his lovers, friends, co-workers, family, and me in an identity fraud scheme that stretched all the way to the Pentagon. Season 2 of Imposters, The Commander, a Spotify original from Parcast, premieres Monday, September 13th. Follow and listen exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In 1980, ex-FBI agent Kenneth Rommel released a report on cattle mutilation. It said that predators and scavengers, not people, were the culprits behind the mysterious phenomenon. But many disagreed, including other countries' officials. Canadian Mounties ruled that, by and large, people had committed the mutilations. They poked holes in Rommel's theories, criticizing his methods and his logic. American veterinarians and local law enforcement sided with the Canadian authorities. They believed the perpetrator had a surgical knowledge of a cow's anatomy. It seemed impossible that an animal could inflict these specific injuries by accident. In other words, it seemed like Agent Rommel was hiding the truth. And this wasn't baseless speculation. The federal government had a long history of suspicious behavior when it came to cattle mutilations. In 1973, two months before the first mutilations were reported, the FBI and the Iowa Bureau of Investigation partnered to look into cattle wrestling in the Midwest. The investigations centered on two facets of the crime, stealing livestock and selling meat. Two years later, in 1975, after hundreds of inexplicable attacks, a Colorado senator begged the FBI to investigate again. As we discussed previously, the Bureau declined. They considered cattle rustling a federal crime, but for some reason, cattle mutilation wasn't. Four years passed before they changed their mind. In 1979, a federal agency known as the LEAA launched a probe with a small $50,000 budget allocated to the operation. They selected a former federal agent with no livestock or agricultural experience to lead the investigation. It was no wonder the farmers distrusted Rommel's findings. The situation also didn't sit right with Corporal Lynn Lauber of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. In 1980, he told a reporter that Rommel's conclusions may have been influenced by American politics, or even that he was ordered to write a knowingly false report. The facts seemed to point to expert human mutilators. In 1979, when a veterinarian found tranquilizers and anticoagulants in a cow, he noted, quote, whoever is doing it is highly sophisticated and they have a lot of resources. They're well organized. 
and few groups have more access to manpower, expertise, and resources than the United States military. There aren't many other organizations that could purchase entire fleets of aircraft like the mysterious unmarked helicopters we discussed last episode. Throughout the 1970s, many Americans spotted unmarked choppers circling farmland. Days later, their livestock turned up mutilated or simply went missing. Farmers and law enforcement believed the pilots hovered over the field, selected a target, then landed next to the cow. They abducted the animal and mutilated it at a separate location. Then they loaded the cow back onto the chopper, returned to the scene, and dropped it from a great height. This would account for the lack of tracks around the carcasses. As the number of attacks grew, so did helicopter sightings. And just as they'd ignored the initial cattle mutilation reports, the FBI also declined to investigate the helicopters. Which was odd because the reports came from multiple states, implying an interstate crime wave. But the FBI still said it wasn't in their jurisdiction. It was like the federal government didn't want anyone taking a closer look at the choppers. And the connection between the attacks and the government seems even clearer when you consider that some dead cows appeared in the military's backyard. The alternate command center of the North American Aerospace Defense Command, or NORAD, is located inside Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado, literally. The subterranean base utilizes some of the most powerful radar technology on the planet to protect the country against aerial attack. They're equipped to track and defend against aircraft, missiles, and space vehicles. But in the middle of the 1970s, on a hill overlooking the base, a cow was discovered with its sexual organs cut off and the base hadn't detected anything. It seemed unlikely that the NORAD radar had missed the trespasser, especially if the mutilators were using a helicopter. That left two possible explanations. NORAD personnel had deliberately looked the other way, or they'd conducted the mutilation themselves. Either way, it appeared that the government knew something the public didn't. This wasn't the only time radar mysteriously failed. In part one, we discussed the night Colorado Sheriff Tex Graves chased an unmarked helicopter. Two men who claimed they worked for the Air Force stepped in to assist him. The men offered to monitor the helicopter from the Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne. But as the chase progressed, the Air Force officers gave confusing, sometimes contradictory information. As a result, Graves lost the helicopter near a missile silo in Nebraska. The next day, he called Warren Air Force Base, demanding an explanation. But they denied any involvement in the incident. If the base officials were telling the truth, then those two men may not have been real Air Force officers. Or perhaps the officers deliberately sabotaged the chase and instructed the base to lie afterward. For some reason, they didn't want Graves to find out who was piloting that helicopter. This wasn't the only time alleged officials interfered with an investigation into the helicopters. 
Sheriff Darius Carter of Cache County, Utah, studied the mutilations for years. Like the Mounties and many suspicious farmers, he believed the slayings were caused by people. In 1976, Sheriff Carter decided the only way to prove he was right was to catch the mutilators red-handed. He staked out the Logan Cache Airport, hoping to spot one of the unmarked helicopters landing. He was in luck. In the middle of the night, a black helicopter touched down at the end of the runway. Carter approached the pilots, who wore military fatigues. Their uniforms had no identification patches, and none of the men wore dog tags. Carter considered arresting them. After all, they flew in an illegal unmarked helicopter, just like the ones that had terrorized local farms. But he worried that if he antagonized the men, they'd kill him. He settled on a warning. If the mutilations didn't stop, his officers would shoot the choppers down. For the next five years, there wasn't a single mutilation in Cache County. It seemed that Carter had made the right threat to the right people. But one question remained. Who did they work for? Many believed the government was responsible for the mutilations, but few could guess what their motive could be until they learned about a biological weapon called Clostridium botulinum. In the 1950s, the United States was eager for any advantage in the Cold War. While they developed rockets in the space race and tested the world's first hydrogen bombs, they also explored biological warfare. And one of their newest weapons dispersed a deadly chemical called Clostridium botulinum. Exposure to this toxin can cause botulism, a serious and sometimes fatal illness. Depending on how they contract the disease, a person with botulism may experience intestinal distress, difficulty breathing, and muscle paralysis. Today, doctors have effective remedies against botulism. But untreated, the condition has about a 50% mortality rate. After they engineered their botulism weapon in 1971, the United States signed an agreement with the Soviet Union banning biological warfare. This included the use and development of Clostridium botulinum. But that doesn't mean the United States abandoned their breakthrough. In fact, shortly afterward, American cattle began contracting an illness similar to botulism. We discussed this disease last episode a condition known as blackleg. Two years after the United States signed the pact banning the development of biological weapons, the mutilation phenomenon began, and cases of blackleg mysteriously increased too. In Smith County, Texas, the sheriff asserted that blackleg caused all of the county's cattle deaths. In Cedar Rapids, Iowa, authorities attributed almost all of their mutilation cases to pneumonia or blackleg. Dr. Robert Hedelius of the United States Department of Agriculture believed the blackleg diagnoses were a cover. The real cause of death may have been Clostridium. Hedelius claimed someone had injected the chemical agent into the cattle. This only made the animals look like they were dying of blackleg. In truth, the federal government may have been secretly testing a new bioweapon. 
By experimenting on livestock, the United States could circumvent their weapons agreement with Russia. No one would suspect that seemingly random livestock deaths had anything to do with biowarfare. And should anyone get suspicious, the government could blame natural disease or predators. Alarmingly, Hedelius said that officials told him to stop talking to the media after he voiced his allegations. They wanted him quiet. But if the cattle mutilations were part of a top-secret weapons experiment, it's hard to believe that federal authorities would be so sloppy. Scientists could easily develop and test a biological agent in a controlled setting, like a laboratory or military base. There was no need to get farmers and their cattle involved. Testing in public, even at night, was an unnecessary risk. Plus, this explanation doesn't account for the mutilations that occurred in other countries, like Brazil and Canada. Something else had to be behind all the attacks. And there were plenty of eyewitness accounts that suggested something more ominous was at play than a government cover-up. Throughout the 1970s, dozens of Americans reported seeing strange figures in heavy cloaks passing through fields at night. And investigations into mysterious cults uncovered evidence of animal sacrifice. Perhaps the mutilations were the work of Satan worshippers. Coming up, we investigate the connection between the mutilations and satanic cults. Now, back to the story. In the 1970s, more than 10,000 cattle were mutilated in the United States, but authorities were starved for leads. The general public didn't trust the government's official findings, but there was no definitive proof of a cover-up. As the decade progressed, a new paranoia took root in the national consciousness. Fears of violent cults. Newspapers were filled with tales of brutality and deadly leaders like Charles Manson and Jim Jones. And then, mysterious accounts began appearing in newspapers describing some unidentified cult in the Midwest. Most of the reports were brief anecdotes. They didn't offer many clues as to who was involved or why. For example, in the early morning of October 8, 1975, an Idaho man was driving home along the highway. He pulled to a stop when he saw 15 people standing in the middle of the road. They all linked arms, creating a human chain. And they all wore masks. A few years later in North Dakota, a young boy fished in the Cheyenne River. When he glanced up from his line, he discovered a still figure standing at the edge of the water. It wore a long white cloak. The boy screamed and fled and never saw the figure again. North Dakota authorities received other reports of people wearing cloaks and carrying lit candles along the highway. They seemed like they were performing some kind of ceremony, but none of the witnesses could determine what it was or who was involved. No one got close enough to see any faces beneath the cloaks. Later that year, two suspicious characters were spotted in another Idaho forest. They wore long black cloaks with pointed hoods. 
Many thought it couldn't be a coincidence that by the end of 1975, dozens of animals were mutilated in Idaho, all missing their sexual organs. Perhaps this was the work of the cultists. After all, a sighting that year in Arizona suggested the phenomena were related. A couple spotted two hooded figures sitting inside a truck in the middle of the night. It seemed like they were waiting for something. The next day, authorities found a mutilated cow just 15 miles away. This was the only report that connected the cultists to the mutilations. And even then, the link wasn't very strong. All that anyone could say for sure was that strangely dressed people happened to be in the general vicinity of an attack. Any further connection was mere speculation. But that didn't stop people from coming up with wild theories. Some officials alleged that Satanists butchered the cattle, then stole their innards for use in rituals. They claimed that some cults offered up the animal organs as a sacrifice, or even ate them. Following a rash of potential occult mutilations, the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation hired an ex-Marine named Joe Motzinger to look into the crimes. In 1980, his investigation led him to two abandoned houses near the site of several attacks. When he ventured inside, he discovered what seemed to be the remnants of an old satanic ritual. Strange scribblings in a language Motzinger didn't recognize were scrawled over a wall. He saw a pentagram drawn on the floor with a dog's skull laying in its center. Even as an ex-Marine, the scene still terrified Motzinger. But the second house disturbed him even more. Inside, he found upside-down crucifixes. On the walls, someone had written in English, Devil's son was here. The devil is you and I, and evil lives. On a wooden altar, Motzinger discovered another skull, this one from a cow. This seemed like strong evidence that a cult had something to do with the mutilations. But authorities quickly poked holes in this explanation. Even the largest known local satanic groups only had about 25 members. But there had been hundreds of mutilations. It was highly unlikely such a small congregation could perpetrate so many attacks. And it was hard to imagine a tiny cult would have access to unmarked helicopters. Few organizations on Earth were equipped to pull off the attacks, meaning Perhaps the culprits weren't from our planet at all. Which might explain why there are eyewitness testimonies linking cattle mutilations to extraterrestrials. In May 1973, Judy Doherty and her daughter drove home from a bingo parlor in Houston, Texas. On the way, they saw a beam of light lift a cow into the sky. Soon, the light abducted them as well. In a small chamber, they watched aliens dissect and mutilate a calf using tools Judy didn't recognize. She grew terrified they were going to butcher her daughter once they were done with the animal. Fortunately, the aliens left the girl largely untouched, although they did scrape off skin samples. They told Judy they'd come to her world to prevent a nuclear disaster and save the planet. 
It wasn't clear what this had to do with cattle mutilations. But before Judy could get any more information, the extraterrestrial visitors returned Judy and her daughter to Earth. At first, Judy's story seemed too fantastic to be true. But it would be easier to dismiss if someone else hadn't lived through a nearly identical attempted abduction. In 1978, a group of South Carolina farm workers spotted a circle of light and four smaller lights hovering over their land. Frightened, the farmhands tried to drive away. But the mysterious glow followed them. No matter how fast they drove or where they turned, the lights chased their car. After a few minutes, the lights seemingly gave up and returned to their previous spot over the ranch. The frightened workers thought they'd escaped. Two days later, a hog farmer who'd been part of the chase returned to his pig pen to find two hogs dead. One's jaw had been completely sliced off. The other's face was intact, but it felt like a wet sponge and weighed just a fraction of what it should have. In the 1970s, UFO sightings became more frequent, and they were often accompanied by livestock mutilations. Sometimes, farmers discovered animal carcasses mere days or hours after the extraterrestrial encounters. One Colorado science teacher analyzed a sample from one of the butchered animals. She compared the tissue to a slice of flesh she'd cut off a carcass. In her sample, she found some of the cells had been destroyed or ruptured, but in the sample from the actual mutilation, none were damaged at all. The science teacher couldn't make sense of it. Normally, in any kind of a cut, the cells should have been sliced or smashed, but these were still intact. It was like the attacker had somehow slipped the knife between cells in her experience, no human tool was capable of this level of precision. The wound was literally otherworldly. If aliens were responsible for the mutilations, it would explain a lot. The cuts were clean and efficient, possibly because the surgeons were highly intelligent and used advanced surgical instruments. Maybe there were no tracks around the mutilations because the aliens abducted the cows in their spacecraft. And anyone who claimed they saw an extraterrestrial spaceship was ridiculed or accused of lying, meaning authorities were unlikely to take reports seriously. Or maybe the government knew the mutilations were real, but pretended to dismiss them as part of a cover-up. Rommel might have filed his controversial report after his superior officers pressured him to blame the attacks on wild animals. If we can take Judy Doherty's testimony at face value, the mutilations were part of a warning, a way for aliens to capture people's attention and encourage them to abandon nuclear technology. That's why the attacks occurred in multiple countries and continents. But there's still no physical evidence for an alien invasion. Only accounts from witnesses, some of whom weren't sure of what they saw. To this day, there's no definitive consensus about what mutilated the cattle. And that's part of what makes these accounts so frightening. They feel like they could start again any day now. And perhaps they already have, in Oregon, in April 2021. 
It's too early to say what the fallout will be from this most recent mutilation. Perhaps it will have a simple explanation. Predators or cattle rustlers. Or the scene may contain the smoking gun that proves the existence of aliens or a government conspiracy. In the meantime, until we find a definitive answer, we're left with the same questions those farmers had nearly 50 years ago, and the hope that someday soon, this mystery will be solved. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on cattle mutilations, amongst the many sources we used, we found the book Stalking the Herd by Christopher O'Brien extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Alex Bernard, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Angela Jorgensen. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein and research by Chelsea Wood. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. What happens when Mr. Right turns out to be Mr. So Wrong? Find out on Season 2 of Imposters, The Commander, a Spotify original from Parcast, premiering September 13th. Follow and listen exclusively on Spotify.